Now, Acts chapter 15, verse 7. I'll give context to this later. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. I'd like to teach a while tonight on the subject from verse 7, the word of the gospel. And mercifully, you may be seated. Thank you for standing in worship and prayer and for the word. In September, we focused on the family. In October, we've been focused on the mission of the church. And now as we roll over into November, I felt tonight to give a little continuity uh, to October because hearing and doing are not always the same thing. We've been focused on the mission of the church to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, the whole gospel to the whole world by the whole church. Everyone, everywhere can be saved by the power of the gospel. And everyone, everywhere is lost without it. The Bible is very clear that if our gospel is hid, 2 Corinthians 4, 3, it is hid to them that are lost. So without the gospel, people are lost eternally. And in the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine unto them. If they're lost, they will be lost because they did not know the gospel. Now, general revelation, and we talk about general revelation, is an awareness of God. It's what you can know of God through nature and through conscience. You can look in the sky, and if you're honest, you would know that this intelligent design demands an intelligent designer. If a person is sincere, they will believe in God. But that general revelation of the knowledge of God that Romans 1 talks about will not save you. It will point you toward God. And if you're hungry for God, I believe God will find a messenger for you just as he found for, for, for Cornelius and just as he found for the Ethiopian eunuch who is headed away from Jerusalem where the church of that day was headquartered. If they're lost, they'll be lost without the gospel. This past Sunday, our youth pastor, Brother Joel, asked a question, have you, have you asked your lost friends about the Holy Ghost and baptism? And then he asked lost people, have you answered? Have you asked and how you answered? He had felt that message for quite a while, scheduled to preach, and it just ends that that's kind of the end of October, and all of October with Missions Conference, my preaching, our teaching has been about the importance of reaching people with the gospel. Believing is important, but believing 
always is accompanied by repentance, a turning to God. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you know you're a sinner and you'll turn from your sins toward him. Water baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins is essential to salvation. Being baptized in the Holy Ghost, that's really the most formal way of what happens when you initially receive the Holy Ghost. Being baptized with the Holy Ghost, water and spirit baptism. With the evidence of speaking in other tongues, it is the seal and the sign of the Spirit in your life that you have been born again or born from above. That is a gospel message. We preach a lot about Acts 2.38 because it is the response to men and brethren, who people who ask, men and brethren, what shall we do? We're convicted by our sins. Now tell us what to do. The first sermon on the first day of the church that was established in the book of Acts by the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.38 is not a Pentecostal passage. It's the Bible for everyone, everywhere. It's not our little logo. It is the plan of salvation in the New Testament. It's how you get in the church. The entire Bible points to Pentecost. I know we say the cross, and, but if the cross happened and there was no Pentecost, then there would have been death, burial, resurrection, but without it being received by people. That, that is what the gospel is. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it only works for me when I allow the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to change my life through repentance, baptism, and the Holy Ghost. So I want to continue this theme and I want to demonstrate through the Word of God today how powerful the Word of God is to transform a life. What you say really matters. Amen. Romans 1 and 14. The Apostle Paul says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Quite a few years ago, I preached three Sundays on three verses of Romans. I am debtor, I am ready, and I am not ashamed. But then Paul says, and this is the verse I'm headed to in verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And why? For it is the power of God. This good news is power. It is the power of God unto everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. These words have power. And I'm not ashamed to say them because I know the effect that they have on a life. There is power in the word of God in your testimony. Verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we know that the gospel transforms people from sin to salvation, from bondage to freedom, from darkness to light, and most importantly, from hell to heaven. There is no sin 
that cannot be forgiven by the power of the gospel. That's the blood of Jesus applied to your life. There is no person so broken by sin that they cannot be healed by the power of the gospel. Now, I've been in church all of my life, and I know people that have been in church all of their life that have still not allowed the, the power of the gospel to heal their hurts and wounds and challenges, but it can and it will. And it does not matter who comes in contact with the gospel. If they will believe and if they will obey, it will change their life forever. It is the power of God unto salvation. It works. This gospel works. So we need to continue to let it work in us and on us. It's not just new birth, but it is new life and all the benefits that accompany salvation and all things that pertain to life and godliness and everything that is added to us when we seek first the kingdom of God. Amen. It is the power of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank God that I found the gospel. I found it through my parents, through the church I grew up in. But I'm thankful that the gospel changed my life. Now, what is the gospel? I've mentioned this really ahead of my notes, but the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 delineates this, walks it through the gospel that Paul brought to them. But the gospel has to be applied to our lives. Saving faith is not just mental assent. It is not just believing. It is believing and it is applying the blood of Jesus Christ to your life by obeying Acts 2.38. In the Old Testament, at the night of the Passover, the Jews were to take the blood of a lamb, kill the lamb, catch the blood, take a hyssop branch, and apply it to the doorpost and to the lintel of your house. But if you just said, I believe that the blood will cover our family and that the death angel will pass over our house, you could say it a thousand times, and your family would have not been protected. But if you really believed that what God said was true, you would kill the lamb, take the blood, and you would apply it to the doorpost and the lintel. The blood must be applied. Now, this is not part of my message, but there are people who will argue, when is the blood applied? At repentance, baptism, or the Holy Ghost. If you go back to the tabernacle plan, it is applied all the way through. It is applied at the brazen altar. It is applied at the labor of water. It is applied in the holy place, but it is applied at the mercy seat. And God said, it is there. I will meet you there. It is there at the mercy seat, the type of the Holy Ghost, that God meets us and the plan of salvation is consummated there. Amen. The blood is applied all the way through, but complete obedience and applying the blood is essential to salvation. Accepting that what Jesus did on the cross was sufficient payment for your sins. That's important. That's essential. But not only should you accept it, but you also must apply it, as I've been saying. Saving faith is accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ as the sufficient payment for my sins and then applying the blood to my life 
by obeying Acts 2.38, the death, burial, and resurrection. There are people who go to Romans when that is written to save people. And they say, well, the Bible said if you'll confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, that's exactly right. And if you will, you'll do what those first saints did in Acts chapter 2 when they believed with their heart, confessed with their mouth, repented of their sins, were baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And Paul could write back to those Christians in Rome and said it took confessing, it took believing. But we compare Scripture with, with Scripture. We take the whole of Scripture. We do not take an isolated verse to undo the plan of salvation that goes all the way back to the blood that was shed in the Garden of Eden. Amen. No one has ever been saved without believing, and no one has ever been saved without applying. Amen. And obeying the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when the Lord decided to save Noah's day, the antediluvian age, the age before the flood, he told Noah to build a boat, and whoever got on that boat would be saved. If you were Noah's neighbor, and you passed by the boat, and you heard Noah, that preacher of righteousness, talking about impending doom, the coming flood, it had never perhaps rained on the earth, much less the whole earth destroyed by water. And Noah said, if you're not on the boat, you're going to perish. And you could go by Noah's house and say, Noah, you're a good preacher, and I believe that you're telling the truth. But on the day the Lord shut the door, how much you believed did not matter. What mattered was whether or not you were inside the ark of salvation, God's only plan to save anyone who would believe. Well, I just want to enforce today, because there's a lot of people that say a lot of things, and I thank God for every sincere person in the world, but the whole of Scripture would hold up this truth that the blood must be applied, salvation must be applied to our life. You've got to believe it, accept it, and apply it to your life. Faith is always demonstrated by obedience. And when you believe, you will obey. And if you don't believe, excuse me, if you don't obey, then you really don't believe. Brother Joel preached about the disciples of John. When, John, when the apostle Paul ran into the disciples of John the Baptist in Acts chapter 19, they didn't argue about their tradition their founder, their grandma, their grandpa that were baptized under John's baptism because they were sincere in their faith. They immediately accepted and embraced water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. They were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost because they were sincere. But people who are sincere may ask questions. It may take them a while to come around. They may have to work through tradition and preconceived ideas. But if you'll keep praying for them and talking to them, if they're sincere, the Lord will bring them to truth. Amen. These men in Acts 19 did not argue their religious experience. They were receptive to truth. Now, how do you receive this good news? The word gospel means good news. You can read it, you can hear it, but whether it comes through your eyes or your ears, when it comes into your mind, it is subject to your will. 
Like in the Bible, you can mock, reject, embrace. You can say we would ask you more, hear more of this matter as they did in Acts chapter 17. But tonight I want to increase your faith in the power of the word of the gospel. Now I know you know this, but the gospel is not only what you live, it is something you say. If you believe that, say amen. If you don't believe that, then we're going to have to really start over. <laughs> amen. You should live the Christian life. But the gospel is good news at the birth of Jesus. Behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. This is good news. The shepherds were the first witnesses of the newborn Christ. They went and told it, right? Go tell it on the mountain. I don't think that part's in the Bible, but it makes a good Christmas song. The gospel is news that you hear because it is spoken. And when it is spoken, there is power that is released. And when it is not spoken, there is power that is withheld. Acts 15, it's a pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. The church leaders in Jerusalem, this is our text, they were meeting to discuss how they were going to handle the thousands of Gentile converts. These Gentiles are getting saved. They're hearing reports of what God has done through the apostle Peter, through the apostle Paul and Barnabas in their preaching outside of Judaism, outside of Jewish areas, and there are thousands of Gentiles who are being saved. But there are many Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians, who are struggling with this. They thought that if you were going to be saved, you would, you know, obey Acts 2.38 and the Old Testament ceremonial law. So they meet and they discuss, and there's testimony given, and James gives his sentence, but the, the conclusion of the matter is that we're not going to put a yoke of obligation to the Old Testament ceremonial law, not the moral law. God is, not, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His moral nature and his moral law will never change because God never changes. But the ceremonial law that schoolmaster that led us to Christ was abolished in the cross of Christ. So now these Jewish Christians are struggling with it. It's what they've done for thousands of years. The apostle Peter is now going to give his report to the church leaders about what God has done through him through the preaching of the gospel. Acts 15, 7, our text again. And when there had been much disputing, it's like a debate on the general conference floor or in the classroom or wherever it takes place. The apostle Peter, the man that had the keys to the kingdom of God given to him by Jesus in Matthew 16, he opened that door in Acts 2. And he says, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago, it's been some time, God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear. I hope you're getting that. By my mouth should hear the word of the gospel. And when they hear it, that they would believe it. And it worked. 
Peter says, God, which knoweth the hearts, said, I know they're Gentiles and you don't think much of many of them, but God must have known their hearts, that they were sincere, that they turned to Jesus Christ in faith. God knows their hearts. He bare them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. So I like the way he levels the playing field. I know you all think you're really special, all you Jewish Christians, but I'm just going to tell you that those Gentiles received the same Holy Ghost as you received. He reiterates that after the Cornelius story in Acts 10. He gives an account of that in Acts chapter 11. And then, verse 9, I love this. And put no difference between us and them. Now remember when the Bible speaks about Jesus Christ tearing down that middle wall of partition? That wall of partition is not describing one that existed between God and man. That middle wall of partition that was torn down in the cross of Christ was the, the wall that separated Jew from Gentile. They kept people, groups, away from God. And Jesus tore it down in his cross. So the apostle Peter is letting them know there's no difference between them and us. Praise God. We need to remember that in 2022 when someone comes from a far different background from us, that God fills them with the Holy Ghost and saves them. There's no difference between them and us. You might know more. You might live better. You might have served God for 25 or 75 years. But it's in God's eyes, they are justified. They are just as if they never sinned. Now, this was eye-opening and shocking. And they struggled with what the apostle Peter said. That he purified their heart with faith. These Gentiles, largely pagan people with no heritage or history and truth. These Jews were astounded that these Gentiles could just hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter goes on to say he knew their hearts, bear them witness, gave them the Holy Ghost, same one, not a different brand, not a Jewish Holy Ghost, not a Gentile Holy Ghost. You can fill in all the other applications of that for every culture language, tribe, race, kindred, tongue that the Bible speaks about in the book of Revelation. Everybody going to one heaven who was saved. Amen. Praise God. Well, the apostle Peter is kind of torching the troublemakers who did not believe that God could save Gentiles. And there were many of them. The book of Galatians is written to combat the Judaizers who are going around teaching Gentile converts that except they obey the law of Moses and were circumcised, that they could not be saved. These Judaizers, Christ plus Old Testament equals salvation. Christ plus circumcision equals salvation. They were undermining and overthrowing the faith of these Gentiles. But Acts 15 is kind of settled in principle. You've got to work out the principles, right? all over the world and people with different opinions that didn't abide by what was decided in Acts chapter 15 that will not put any greater yoke on them than some necessary things they named for in Acts 15. But I kind of smiled a little bit when I was studying this passage today and last night and thinking it through 
You know, I taught the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts. And uh, that in Acts 10, the apostle Peter was one of those guys who didn't believe that Gentiles could be saved. Remember the vision three times, convincing the apostle Peter. Finally, the Lord tells him, you go with these men. Don't doubt anything. They're knocking at the door while he's in this trance, right, you know? And he goes to their house. There's some introductory remarks. And then on the screens, Acts 10, 34, then Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Jew, Gentile, he goes on to say, that every nation, whoever fears him, God will be accepted of, you know, they'll be accepted of the Lord. This is such an amazing thing. Peter says again, I'm just repeating this. Men and brethren, you know how a good while ago God made choice among us. That the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel. That's my message. The word of the gospel. It has so much power we should say it more than we do because every person needs to hear it everywhere and it can change their life. Amen? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, Paul wrote, and also to the Greek. The word of the gospel. Now, words are very powerful. All words are very powerful. I know when we were kids, in my generation, we said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. That was a lie. It sounded good and brave and tough, but we didn't mean it, and it certainly wasn't true. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. I've observed that some people are verbal hitmen or women who have destroyed other people with their words. Death was in their tongue. It's a fire James wrote about. That little member, that tongue that's sparked by your brain that can make life or death. There are people who have committed verbal murder. And what I'm referring to is the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 when he said, you've heard it said of old times by our ancestors that you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But Jesus said, and I'm reading the New Living Translation, but I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, Reka, shallow brain, is what the King James says. Reka, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, Jesus said, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Be careful what you say. And if you stick your foot in, the mouth, in your mouth or change feet, as some people do, it's always have one foot in their mouth. If you say something you shouldn't say, don't be proud. Quickly apologize. Make it right before the wound of your cutting angry words become fatal to that person. 
death and life are in the power of the tongue. God ordained it that way. He made it that way that we are affected by words. And when I was typing that, I really felt the Holy Ghost to encourage someone to be careful what you speak and how you speak, that your words are very powerful and they may never be forgotten and they may chart the course of a life because James said that words are like a rudder that steer a ship and it can steer a life if you speak the wrong words, but you can also steer a life if you will speak life to them and love and encouragement and faith, amen. Death and life are in the power. Human words are very powerful. But God's words are supernatural. They're exponentially more powerful than just words you speak. Just a few examples. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Hebrews 1 and 3, who being in the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power. God did not just wind up this universe and let it wind down. It is upheld, according to the Bible, by the word of his power. And it goes on to speak about his sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 on the screens. But if our gospel is hid, I referred to this verse earlier. It is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves. I love this verse. Because I may tell stories or illustrations and may tell you a little bit about myself to try to make a point, but we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ, Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, Paul refers back to let there be light. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The word of God is exponentially more powerful than any word that you would ever speak. And when we testify in his name, he backs up his word with his power. Amen. Paul said that the Lord has committed to us this word of reconciliation. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5, and Paul said, We beseech you in Christ's stead, in his place, be reconciled to God. We have the power of this word of reconciliation that can bring life. Amen? When Jesus spoke of remitting sins or withholding forgiveness, he's talking about preaching. That if you do not preach and teach, you're withholding salvation from a person. So I want to ask you tonight, do you believe the gospel? If you do, you will speak it. And if you do not speak it, perhaps you don't really believe it. 2 Corinthians 4.13 on the screens. The Apostle Paul is quoting the psalmist. 
we have the same spirit of faith according as it is written. I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. When you believe, you speak. Amen. I know we speak the truth in love, but we don't just think the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. And when you speak, it is a sign that you believe. And when you speak, something is released and something happens by the power of the word of God that comes out of your mouth. It is more than death or life that are in the power of the human tongue. It is a power of the gospel that transforms sinners into saints. Amen. Because eternal life is conceived through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I need to pause to say that when I now talk about preaching, I'm not talking about microphones or pulpits or loud voices. It includes that. But I am talking about this message of salvation that is taught and told and typed and shared, amen, and given into the heart of a person. And when it is spoken, however it is spoken, there is something that is conveyed that is supernatural. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is power, amen. Something takes place when you speak the name and when you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. This word, Peter said, it has power. They heard by my mouth. The gospel, and they believed, and God knew their heart and filled them with the Holy Ghost. That's how it works. You speak it, they believe it. God saves them. It's not complicated, but sometimes I know it's not easy. There's a lot of political correctness, a lot of opposition, a lot of preconceived ideas. We shouldn't talk about politics and religion. Well, you can have your own idea about politics, but religion is heaven or hell. It's not whether or not you're going to be my friend. It's where you're going to spend eternity. And sometime you do have to open your mouth because the gospel is a word. It's a word that is spoken. Amen. Now, in case you think I'm missing something, I'm not talking about eloquent words of human reasoning. What the Bible says, it's that Jesus, they went forth everywhere preaching the word. and The Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. They preached, he performed miracles. They spoke the word, and God backed them up. There's lots of scriptures about this, too many to contain in this message tonight. The apostle Paul told the Thessalonians that for our gospel came not unto you in Word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. There's always the backing up of the power of God. I know Paul told the Corinthians that he did not come to them with the excellency of speech or of wisdom. He came in demonstration of the spirit and power. That your faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I understand that just human words will not get the job done. But we're not talking about human words. We're talking about speaking God's word on God's behalf, given this ministry of reconciliation. And when we speak it, God backs us up. God works in that human heart. But it has to be spoken if it's going to be received. 
I'm reading my text again, Acts 15, 7. When there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. They believed. He knew their sincerity. The Lord did, knew their sincerity, gave them the Holy Ghost because of their faith. Now, I want to use a different analogy that Jesus used about the power of the Word of God. Matthew 13 contains parables of the kingdom. One of those is the parable of the sower. Luke 8 is a parallel passage that also gives this idea. Jesus is teaching. He talks about a man who sows seed, and he goes forth to sow. Some falls on the path on the wayside, and it gets kind of stomped down and eaten by the birds, and nothing ever happens. The seed is the same seed. It is uniform through this story. The next seed fell on stony ground. It got a start, but it withered up when the sun came out. Matthew's gospel sheds more light on this. The heat of trial didn't have a lot of depth. That's people. And then there's some that fell among thorns. Same seed falls among thorns. It starts growing, but the thorns grow up and choke it out. That happens to people just like you and me where we allow the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches to choke out the life of God. We have to keep weeding, right? Pulling the weeds out of our life. They will grow up. Then there's the fourth soil, the good ground that sprang up, Luke says, Luke's gospel, a hundredfold. So they asked Jesus, what does this parable mean? And Jesus said, I'm gonna explain it to you, but I'm gonna hide this truth from other people. Luke 8, 11, Luke 8, 11 on the screens. Now the parable is this. This is really deep, right? But it's Jesus, so it's deep. The seed is the word of God. Everybody got that? The soils vary. The seed is the same. You and I are not in charge of determining the, the soil type. Now you could say this man was broadcasting seed and most of it went on fertile ground. We can't really go there and applying this parable. Jesus is just telling us there's at least four kinds of soil. He describes them. There's still one seed. And I know that you've told, talked to people and preached to them and it, nothing happened. You've told others and something happened and they didn't last long. You told others and they lived for God a while, but weeds choked out the life of God. But you know, our target and our prayer is God give us good ground. But just because, and I don't think you can say 75%. You know, we don't do percentages on this parable. He's talking about the different types of ground. We just know that not everybody's going to be saved, but we just keep sowing seed. The seed is the word of God. And I'm not in charge of the response, but I am in charge of speaking the word of God because it has life, amen. And if you don't speak it, it is death. It's automatically death if you just live it and don't ever say it. I know this is what you heard preached on Sunday. It's what we've been saying all the month of October. I felt there's the let of the Lord to just kind of drive this in a little deeper into our hearts. The gospel is something you say. Amen. The seed is the word of God. So if you want something to grow, you just have to sow. The witness of our life is powerful. 
but the word of God even transcends the power of a godly life. You can even try to undermine the gospel by a bad life, and you can cause people to be dissuaded, discouraged, and they can walk away from truth. But we're this and that people. We don't think you have to have one or the other, a good life or a good word. You can have both, a godly life and the power of words. But the Apostle Paul said something that, that I really think is interesting in Philippians 1 and 15. He's talking about people that preach. He said, you know, some people indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife and some from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. There's some people out there in the world that are preaching the Bible, not the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but that word is more powerful than the preacher. That guy may not even be living right, but when he communicates the word of God, that word of God is finding a sincere heart. I had a good friend who, who was out of church a long time. He witnessed to a lot of people in a bar half drunk. But guess what? Half drunk or not, the Bible was not half drunk. And if he said, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the Holy Ghost. Acts 2.38 was sober. I know I'm a little beside myself, but I believe in the power of the gospel. Motives matter. We should have pure motives. But I just want you to know that even when you're not on your best day, go ahead and speak it anyway because you never know if it's good ground, stony ground. There may be thorns there in the future. Don't worry about that. That's, you're not in charge of that. One of my favorite parables of Jesus is in Mark 4, 26. He, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. This guy has never been to college. He doesn't know a lot about agronomy. He's just, he's just a farmer. He's got ground and seed. And he just goes and throws the seed on the ground. But listen to how Jesus describes this man. And should sleep by night and rise by day. And the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. He can't even explain the process of germination. Just kind of, a, he's, sorry, just not that bright. But the point Jesus is making is that's okay because it's not who he is. It's what he's got in his hand. It's what he put in the ground. And Jesus said, for the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, after that, the full grain in the head. So you may not feel like you're a theologian, you're a seasoned saint, you know all of your imperfections, or maybe at least half of them, but that's okay. Keep trying to do better, live better, but don't quit talking about Jesus, amen. Tell people what you were before you were saved. 
what I used to be, how I got saved, how God has changed my life. Just tell it. Amen. Paul said, I have planted Paulus watered, but God gave the increase. So neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gives the increase. I'm not even in charge of the increase, neither are you. It's God that does that. But I am in charge of how much seed I sow. I am in charge of how much I water what's been planted. And you can talk about that a long time. We're not responsible for the results, but we are responsible for the process. Now, my mission today has been to increase your faith in the power of the word of God. And that the gospel is a word spoken. Have you asked? Have you prayed that God would open the door in a conversation to allow you to tell your friends and family and neighbors and whoever it is that Jesus died for their sins and loves them and there's hope for their life? You know, Paul said, I am cursed if I don't preach. He said, necessity is laid upon me. I don't really have a choice in this matter. I'm commissioned to do this. But I believe the Lord can help you find openings in conversations. If you will pray and you will watch, you can find a way to say a word. And it may not even be the whole seed. And by that I mean you may not even be able to say the whole gospel at one time. But if you begin to plant the word of God in the heart of a person, that word has life in itself. An older preacher told me when I was a younger preacher that when you finish preaching and you go home and go to bed at night, the word of God is still at work. That gives me a lot of consolation that when I finish here tonight and you go on tomorrow, the next day, not because of me, but because of what I've just transmitted, that this word has much more power than personality or oratory or anything that any person could bring to a pulpit or a table, or whatever that is. This seed has life in itself. I've watched in church services when hardened sinners crumbled and then humbled their hearts before God as the Word of God did only what it can do and it pierced to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joy and marrow and it was a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and it brought that sinner to repentance. I've watched that happen. I was thinking about the story of Paul the prisoner standing before Felix the governor. And Felix, the guy with all the authority, is asking the guy who's the prisoner about his faith. And while Paul reasons of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix, the guy with all the power, is trembling under the influence of the power of the word of God. And he could not resist. I was in my office years ago talking to a person. Giving them a Bible study. I was talking about repentance. I did not have my voice raised. I don't think I was wearing a tie. God help me. And while we talked, just talked conversationally. And I shared the word of God. That person started shaking like Felix. And crying and sobbing and they begin to repent. 
Because this word has more power than we've ever dreamed. If we would just let people by our mouth hear the word of the gospel.